0: For me to just to sit there and give like, give your new investors the list of the hundred ways they're going to scam the money from you that you will never figure out how they did it, I, I'd, it, it's better just to say just invest in good people, proven people who've done things who are good, decent, honest people and are not there to steal your money and you'll be fine. If you start going with the the sketchier guys and believing their promotion, you know you're going to get um, jammed in the end, which is uh, not a good thing. And they have hundreds of ways to jam you. So stick with good people, good companies, uh, and you'll have a, you'll have a fighting chance
1: welcome back to mining stock education thank you for tuning in this is bill powers your host While I'm speaking again with returning guest, fund manager Warren Irwin. He has a Bachelor of Math from the University of Waterloo, an MBA from the University of Western Ontario. He's a chartered financial analyst, a mining, oil, and gas investor, and a fan of nuclear energy. His fund is Rossau Asset Management, which I believe in 2016 was one of the best performing uh, hedge funds out there if you're newer to the show and i've been receiving several emails from newer investors that have gotten excited about the resource sector and are listening to this show now please go back to an april 1st 2018 episode i published that was with warren that was at pdac which is a big mining conference in toronto 2018 and the title of that was discerning mining stock scams from BREX until today and in that episode warren shares how he turned a quarter million of his own money into 5.6 million dollars uh, with the BREX scam of course he didn't know it was a scam but when he discerned it was a scam he then shorted it and made money on the briex fall that was the biggest mining scam of the 90s and this will be a eye-opening interview for those of you that are excited about making money in the mining shares but may be a little naive as to some of the shadier things in the underbelly underbelly that this sector has so with that preface warren thank you for coming back on mining stock education to educate my audience
0: oh thanks bill it's always nice to uh to, to do a podcast with you and uh, answer any questions you might have that uh, you think some of your, uh, your listeners might enjoy uh, getting the answers to because uh, I, I try not to hold back to the, to the best of my abilities and, and give you the, the straight goods rather than... Uh, you know, something that's, um, you know, all covered with fairy dust and, uh, and uh, is not the correct answer. So, yeah, there's a lot of you're exactly right, though. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the mining business and um, it's well ingrained. It's been going on for a long, long time. And... Um, it gets worse, of course, when things start to heat up. And what's interesting now is um, you're exactly right. I, I fully understand why you have more and more investors interested in learning about mining because uh, currently the way things are are happening globally uh, in the printing of money, um, when there is a rush to real assets, and you're, you're starting to see a little bit of it now, um, mining is a great place to be because you know, you're buying... You know, you're buying the copper, you're buying the gold, you're buying all the other metals that are in the ground, and they're not being printed yet. The stuff you buy buy them with is being printed, so there's a strong tailwind that will really help uh, the appreciation of these commodities over the next uh, the next coming uh, decade or so because of all this uh, the inflationary pressures because of the the printing of money. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, there's a couple of other factors that could impact things, like um, you know the vo- whether you get into the velocity of money and things like that. But um, uh, generally in inflationary t- in times, uh, you know, commodities aren't the worst place to be.
1: Well, Warren, I want to start off with picking your brain about pre-IPOs or companies that are looking to do an RTO to go public. Uh, recently, I've been offered in the last month, for 30 to 45 days, several pre-IPO financings, both from companies that just reached out to me or through my broker so and I also want to preface it by saying for the retail investors that are listening to me uh, I have gotten some feedback that from just a few not a lot but that have said bill why are you talking about private placements and accredited investor type things when most of us are not accredited investors well because this is a venture industry and sector you need to be aware of the dynamics of private placements and how companies go about raising money and some of the games that are played there for you to understand the disadvantage that you have as a retail investor and also so that you can just be aware of how the industry works and perhaps one day you would be an accredited investor. So with, with that preface out there, Warren, when it comes to pre-IPO financings, when the company is seeking to raise 5 to 10 to $20 million, a junior miner that is, usually an exploration company, before they go public, they, as you know there's many rounds of financing that occurred before there, often at of fractions of what they're offering, a major round pre-IPO. If you're offered a pre-IPO round, what are you looking for? What are some of the games that are played? What should be, we be aware of?
0: Well, you know, Bill, there are so many games being played in that market. I can't even begin to, um, to, to first of all, I'm not, I, I've been in the business a long time and I and I frankly have not learned all the tricks. Um, the guys out of Vancouver, mining stock promoters there, uh, there are some real geniuses out there who know how to really, really put the boots to investors by getting in early, uh, parking their shares in a whole bunch of different ways in which, so the typical investors um, will not know who they're really trading with. Uh, For instance, if, uh, you know, let's assume you've got an honest mining company, they'll want to make sure that uh, some of the principals in the company get get compensated for having set up the company and taking the risk and had their industry contacts uh, used to help acquire some mining property. So it seems pretty reasonable that some of those guys get in at um, you know get at you know let's say a, a penny, half a penny, whatever the number is, to make sure that they get a a decent sized position, and, and that helps all investors at a later date by having some of the key principals. Uh, with with some cheap stock right so they're they're in the same camp as you they've got cheap stock but it's really because they put in a lot fair amount of sweat equity use their contacts to get properties things like that but then on the on the promotional side you'll get certain mining stock promoters that will um, you know put together a team the team looks really good on paper they'll promote the heck out of it and They'll get a ton of really really cheap paper. They'll sprinkle it around, you know, whether it be family members different offshore accounts And then they'll start the promotionary promotion machine. They'll also sprinkle around some of this paper with um, you know various um, uh, newsletter writers and other promoters and so everybody uh, Who's um, you know? Uh, in, in the business is all loaded up with paper ready to start to promote and then the promote starts and then um, we have a really, really nice run, and then you'll start noticing a fair amount of papers coming at you, and that's often coming at you from uh, the people who got in cheap and early. And um, so that's the that's the dump part of the pump and dump uh, scheme. So that's uh, that's no less ethical company but it's done both ethically and unethically uh this this seed stock thing so
1: would it make it ethical that like you said they put up some significant sweat equity use their context and that therefore they can you know be entitled to that cheap founder share
0: yeah that's exactly right you just have to look at that's what i try and look at I say, well who has a who has the cheap paper and what did they do to get it and did they really legitimately earn it and um I have no qualms of having a a management team do that because a lot of these guys, as you know, they've been in the mining business grinding it out for decades. And and as they get older, you know, they're let's say they're 50 or 60s, they probably haven't made all their made made a ton of money because they have oftentimes work for big mining companies. And this is their chance to to take you know what they've learned from the decades of experience and all the decades and decades of analyzing properties and take some of the best properties they've seen in their career, put them together and make some money. And if, and and oftentimes they don't have the amount of capital you would need to, to buy a bunch of a big, a big position at, you know, 25 cents. So I think it's entirely appropriate for them to get, uh, uh, a, a lot of early stage founder stock, but, uh, And um, and, you know, it kind of gets a little sketchier when you start, uh, you know, sprinkling some of this founder stock amongst people who will promote your uh, promote your company, because one would hope that your company would uh, would do well on on its merits rather than having some scammers uh, uh, promoting your stock.
1: What about the escrow requirements on those cheap stock? Because if you like you said, you issue your shares at less than a penny. You do a good promotion in that first year. They literally could be, the founders could be sitting on a 50 or 100 fold gain without creating any value for all the other shareholders. What type of escrow requirements would you want to see?
0: You know, escrow is an interesting one. I've seen, I've been under escrow myself for buying early stage stock. And, uh, you know, there are are regulations regarding it. Escrow is an interesting thing because generally when I'm under escrow, I, I hate it and uh and as soon as i have a chance to get off my paper as soon as the escrow happens uh comes off i just hit the market with all my paper right it's because i i really don't like uh i like it it's so you know to have a management team with let's say you know a 3 year escrow i think is entirely appropriate because not much is going to happen in 3 years time and uh, i guess you have to watch but because there's there's just the 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 concern I have is not necessarily with the management team because generally they have escrow because everything's you know much more uh, disclosed it's really just the the secret little promoters who have their paper that might be freely tradable or they do some sort of really you know they do some sort of swaps here or there to get freely traded paper that they can get out of in time or uh, you know they just sit on things for a year or two so that you know the promote's not happening until the escrow. If they know there's going to be a six-month promote, they'll make sure that, you know, their uh, their escrow comes off probably in about in three months, so that they're at least for the the last three months of the of the promote or the pump, uh, they're in a good shape to dump. Um, so that's that's something you you kind of have to watch. But you know a lot of this stuff is going on behind the scenes, and investors really do not have the the level of disclosure that you need because the people who are doing it illegitimately, uh, have are way, way smarter than me when it comes to this. And I haven't figured out all their games and, uh, you know, and the, you know, there are some geniuses out there who who really know how to promote and really know how to make lots and lots of money. Uh, my favorite ones is when you take a look at these promoters that are, are are out there, and you never see a paper trail anywhere of them, any owning any shares, selling any shares, getting any seed stock. They're all doing it through shell companies, offshore companies, through their parent, through their parents' stock account, through their wives' stock account, through. Everything. It's just it's, it's, they're, they're pretty good at what they do. And and it's tough to go against them because myself and a typical investor does not know all the tricks that are involved in it.
1: And is there any way that you could actually research it? I mean, they, at most, it seems like they get a slap on the hand, but for the average guy trying to figure this out, is there any way we could research it?
0: Yeah. What I do is I don't, if I feel I need to research it, I just don't even go and get involved. Right. Like there's certain, there's certain promotional groups out of Vancouver that I just stay a million miles away from because you know they're playing all these tricks and it doesn't matter if you know specifically which offshore company they're using or or what they're doing but um you just know that it's happening behind the scenes so i just stay away from those guys generally because i know that i'll finish up second best um So I just generally try and stay away from that.
1: Another way a company can go public is through a reverse takeover RTO. What are your thoughts on RTOs and what should the average retail investor uh, be watching for this?
0: Yeah, RTOs, um, you know, I've been involved in a bunch of them. Uh, rtos can be good and bad right like the one one problem with an rto and a, a, a rto meaning reverse takeover basically where a private company sort of vends its assets in to a a small uh usually a small public company that's already has the listing already has shareholders and they get a number of shares uh for vending in their um vending in everything so um Um, The benefits to that are that sometimes if you get a really, really good group that owns the the shell company that was used. what you 're able to do is uh, get a whole bunch of great shareholders involved in the deal, which is really really good so if you have let's say the new the the shell company being used has thirty to fifty new fifty shareholders they're all sophisticated they're all guys who have a small small amount of money in the in the market and they have a lot more money to follow up upon success of the project. Those are great shareholders to have um, the risk of an rTO is of course if your shell is not clean and um, and there might be some liabilities in it or other other bad things in it. I've heard people, uh, friends of mine have done RTOs and were uh, a little, uh, a little uh, lax in doing the due diligence prior to, and then they did the RTO, vended their asset into this public company, and then found out that there was tons and tons of issues. Um, so that's, um, uh, and, and they spent years and years cleaning that up. So that's not a good thing of RTO. So you just have to be careful. But most, most people generally get clean, um, clean shells and they, um, and uh, RTOs go reasonably well. And the reason you'd go with an RTO is uh, it's it's quicker and f- faster at times than just going the whole, you know, grind it out through a prospectus route for uh, for a company. So uh, that's sort of why our reverse takeovers are done versus just going through the whole going public process right from scratch.
1: Warren, you're a chartered financial analyst. And when it comes to the, the financial statements of junior miners, pre-revenue junior miners, What would be the top three things that the average retail investor should look for in a financial statement to see if there's any shenanigans being played? Oh, man. Man, where do you start? I try
0: not to spend a lot of time on the financials uh, myself. I try and focus on more more the geology and whether or not they're actually making progress on – Uh, On the project and I generally only back people who are ruthless ruthlessly cheap when it comes to to spending and they are honest so I don't really spend a lot of time going through all the expenses. As you know, there have been uh, there's there's a poster child for this recently here. Um, You know, fission uranium I think has gotten some grief here recently. I don't know how it's going to turn out um, about some of their expenses and whether they were properly accounted for and things like that. But generally, what I try and do is I try and avoid that right from the beginning. Again, if I feel that I have to go through the financial statements. Uh, which are generally, frankly, l- lousy disclosure. Um, and look for expenses and how money is being spent and that sort of thing. I really shouldn't be invested in that company. I think of uh, you know certain companies I'm involved in, and, and in general, the, these guys are, are are total cheapskates. And they don't pay themselves a lot of money. They don't pay their staff a lot of money. They don't have huge expensive offices, and a lot of the money gets put in the ground and uh, their staff is generally remunerated more with, uh, with options, and they'll take you know very small base salaries in there. Every, so everybody's in there based on the success. I do get concerned when I see, if I do see companies that are lifestyle companies, I remember once an example uh, where a CEO was having an affair with his rather attractive CFO, and his, the CFO, uh, if you went in and looked at the comp, um, she was being paid 750,000 a year, which is, which is a pretty good, good amount of money, uh, for a CFO of a junior minor that's not in production. Right. So you see stuff like that happen from time to time. And, um, it's, uh, you try and stay away from it. Like I, I, again, I try and back people that wouldn't even do that nonsense in the first place so that then I don't have to spend all my time. Looking at financial statements and finding out the way they're trying to scam the money out of the company. So, I would rather just um, um, just invest with people who are seriously out there to find a mine and not create a lifestyle company. Um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we don't see quite as many lifestyle companies now. But a lifestyle company is you know just for your readers that aren't or listeners that aren't familiar with it is basically a company where the whole purpose of it is to um, create a company which uh, would raise enough money for the the principals of it to extract their funds out of it uh, to live a great lifestyle. Uh, I give you a couple examples. Uh, back in the mid '90s, when there was a great run in the um, in the gold market, all gold companies had like if you had a listing, a property, and um, um, a pub, you know, a public listing and a property. Uh, you generally had about a hundred million market cap and um, You know, obviously all those companies were well, virtually all of them, went to zero uh, they were um, uh, They were basically stripped of assets they'd raise as much money as they could and then over the next number of years once the market turned uh, They you know, they'd start with you know a ten million dollar kitty and then over the next five or ten years That money had long since been dissipated and generally into the hands of uh, the principals and friends Um and uh, yeah, so that that's something we have to be cognizant of once this market gets a little more frenzied. and um, there's there's lots of abuse like that where um, you know you get these old retreads that are. You know they'll probably be pot former tech CEOs or former pot CEOs. Next thing you know, they're CEO of ABC Gold Company, and gold's trading at three thousand dollars an ounce, and everybody in the world is frenzied to get some exposure to a gold junior. And that's that's when this is very ripe for the for the picking, and that's that's when you have to be most con- concerned about lifestyle companies. I'll give you an example of a very recent lifestyle company. Uh, I won't name the name, um, but. Um, uh, the individual is very well known in the mining business. So, uh, I had a buddy of mine went in there and to try and clean up the mess. Uh, and the, the stuff that was found was incredible. For instance, um, the, the, the vehicles, uh, were being rented to the company. Like for instance, a pickup truck was being rented to the company, uh, by a company associated with the CEO of the company. And he would rent it to the company by the hour. Uh, there was a charge of a rental of an ambulance, you know, to keep on site as far as work, worker safety. Well, the ambulance consisted of a pickup truck with a um, uh, with uh, with a cap on the back and a stretcher inside of it, and that was considered an ambulance, and that was being rented for a huge premium on a daily basis. Again, from a company associated with the principal of the company. So these are, and you know, another company I know that, uh, uh, you know, everybody's heard of, um, you know, so their CEO the other day was laughing to a friend of mine about how he owns shares in the, uh, helicopter company that provides helicopter services to that mining company. Right. So that's another way they're, they're stripping assets out of the company. So this happens, you know, all the time for another example, um, you know kickbacks from drilling contractors on a per meter basis x number of dollars you know if they drill a thousand meters, well you know the head of exploration wants a kickback of x number of dollars per meter drilled so there there are more ways um, to scam investors in the mining business it's just it's, it's truly incredible the ingenuity some of these scamsters use, so I generally try and just stay away from um, those type of people to begin with, uh, both the, uh, the the type of, you know, promoters that are behind things. A lot of the promoters, if you start doing work on them, you'll find they have a shady past. Their past is shady. There's nothing going to change them going forward, trust me. Um, and then with respect to management teams, um, the way they could strip money out of the company is incredible. And uh, it's hard to trace sometimes for the average guy, right? Yeah, well, how would you and I know? That the principal of the company is renting an ambulance to the company from his own private holding company, how would you know that he's renting vehicles to the company? How would you own know that he he has an equity stake in the helicopter company that's uh, providing helicopter services to you, to you right because these are these are external private companies, and um, you know it happens all the time, and the more money that is at stake, and uh, there, there is generally more money at stake when things are robust. And vibrant, and um, and that happens generally when uh, you know we've got a, a very strong bid to the market. We're not in that frenzied state quite yet, but as we get to that frenzied state, um, that's when the real fun starts with all the scammers and uh, their ability to strip money out of a company is incredible. I remember the last. Uh, Maybe, I guess, the second last cycle uh, back in the 90s when that cycle collapsed in, let's say, 97, 98, I remember people coming up to me and say, Warren, you know, you've got to buy this company that has $5 million in cash, has a market cap of $2 million. And, you know, Bill, on the surface of it, you're, you know, your investors might say, well, this is amazing. You know, you're able to buy a company, market cap $2 bucks, million, $5 million in cash. The reality is, though, my response to them, which was a correct response because it's exactly what happened, uh, $5 million in the hands or, or under control of a stock promoter is worth zero because that's not your money. They view it as their money, and they will strip that $5 million out over the next few years. And that's exactly what happened after the collapse in the late 90s of the big gold boom then. And that's when that was a result of the, you know, the big Bre-X blow up blowup uh, contributed to that but uh, all these little juniors with 3 5 10 million dollars over the next you know 5 5 years or so all that money disappeared and uh, uh a fair amount of it ended up in the pockets of the uh the guys behind the company.
1: Warren, I want you to um, share your thoughts, if you could, on insider buying and how antiquated SETI.ca is. That's where these uh, insiders need to de- disclose when they buy or sell their shares so that the average Joe like ourselves, at least myself, could be aware of if insiders are buying or selling. You know, when I have a certain spending limit on my credit card, and when I purchase something online over a certain amount, I immediately get a notification on my phone that such and such was charged, did I actually charge this? Why couldn't there be a system like that where, if an insider has to register with their broker and whether they buy or sell their shares, people could be instantly notified? What's up with this multi-day allowance that they give them? Uh, and it's so hard to follow too. There are some services, but this this website is so antiquated.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I guess I'm not the only one that has a really tough time making any use out of SETI. Yeah, it's it's really. It's a really tough site to follow. It's a tough site to understand, and you're right disclosure is delayed. I don't necessarily mind the disclosure delay that much, really. Um, my biggest concern, uh, like SETI is is antiquated, like you said, and uh, it should be improved. Add that to the, add that to the list and of um, uh, things that need to be done in the Canadian securities markets. Um, and um, so, it's, it's not super great. Uh, the, um, generally what I find is there, are, you know, if you go to ceo.ca or some of the other websites like that, you'll find that some diligent investor has gone through and, uh, and gone through the SETI filings and has tried to figure out exactly what's going on. Because as you know, sometimes you have no idea what they're doing and, and it's confusing, especially when they do, a new, you know, if they exercise stock options, then they sell and, for, for, a typical, for, a, for a neophyte investor to make heads or tails of a SETI, SETI filings can be tricky, and especially when you mix in options and things like that. The other thing, too, about that's difficult to, make, to, make, to really glean anything from an insider trading report or SETI filings and things like that is that a lot of these companies, they have tremendous uh, amount of uh, blackout periods. So somebody will say, well, man um, – I saw I saw three insiders selling their stock here yesterday. We got to jump in and sell. I say, well, you know, did you know? Were you aware that they were under blackout for the last three months? And um, and and th- so there are there are so many other factors that could indicate what, it could impact you know the buying or selling of shares by these by these insiders. And uh, if you're saying, well, listen, this company has great fundamentals. The insiders aren't buying. Why is that the case? Well. Maybe they're not aware that those insiders are actually talking to a major corporation and is going through due diligence and possibly buying the company. So they can't be seen as they, they're under blackout and they can't go out and buy the company. So that's a cautionary tale of reading too much into insider buying and selling. My biggest concern really is, is where you know some of these more dodgy individuals and promoters have got shares uh, – tucked away where they don't even bother filing SETI anyways. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the market. So I hear that, Oh, X, Y, Z promoter just made a hundred million dollars on a big pot deal or whatever company. Right. And you'd go through their filings. You you would never see the person trading at all. Yet they were the people that set up the company and they were the ones that are behind it. And there, there's not a single filing of them trading the stock. So that's, that's my biggest concern with respect to that. So again, it all comes back to the key thing. Uh, shady promoters are shady promoters. They're always shady. You can generally Google their names. You'll know, you know the groups out of Vancouver that are bad. They're bad in the past. They're bad now. They'll be bad in the future. So just stay away from those people.
1: That's uh, excellent advice, Warren. And I want to be respectful of your time. You've given us 30 minutes of uh, mentorship here. So Thank you very much as we conclude. any final thoughts, or will that about do it?
0: Well, you know hopefully that's uh, of some use to some of your your listeners. Uh, i've been um, I've been burned by pretty much every one of these uh, uh, scams in one way or another, and that's how I learn. So uh, you know stay tuned for my next book, which will be uh, <laughs> when I when I retire from this business, I will sit down with some of my friends and we'll write a book of all the scams. but you know, I've already started notes on the book, and I'll tell you. Uh, I've already got a book written, pretty much, uh, and and you know, for me to just to sit there and give uh, give your new investors the list of the hundred ways they're going to scam the money from you that you will never figure out how they did it. Um, I, I'd it, it's better just to say, like we said, if there's one takeaway here, just invest in good people, proven people who've done things who are good, decent, honest people, and are not there to steal your money, and you'll be fine. If you start going with the the sketchier guys and believing their promotion, you know you're going to get um, jammed in the end, which is uh, not a good thing and you know there's they have hundreds of ways to jam you so stick with good people good companies uh and uh you'll have you'll have a fighting chance
1: excellent thank you for coming on today's show warren much appreciated
0: you're welcome bill have a great day cheers the mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth you know a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or a hundred thousand dollars and it might discover something worth a couple billion there is no sector that i know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility certainly not the certainty but the possibility of 10 for one returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks Concommit